Welcome to the Know and Love Podcast, where we discuss how to interpret the scriptures for everyday life in order to grow in our devotion to God and His Word. We are your hosts, Adam and Rachel Pereira, and we are so glad that you joined us today. Hey everyone, welcome to the Know and Love podcast. Adam and Rachel here, and you're with us for episode 10. It's hard to believe that we've made it through... Number 10. Yeah, can you say a decade of episodes? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're continuing to progress through scripture and through our series on the covenants, and I hope that it's been helpful to you so far. And uh, before we talk about what covenant we're going to talk about today, um, I wanted to just kind of freshen up your minds a little bit, get you kind of caught up to speed, especially if it's been a while since you've listened to the last episode. Of course, we started several episodes ago with uh, the covenant of creation. And um, with each of these, we've kind of given a, a phrase, um, kind of a title to them just to kind yep. of help you separate them in your mind. So uh, creation, we said, uh, gave us the goal of creation. God created this world. What's the point of it? Yeah. Where's it all headed to? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so then right after that was Noah. That was all in the same episode, actually, I think. And um, we called that the canvas of redemption. Uh, then we progressed from there to the Abrahamic covenant, and that gave us the framework of redemption. And as we progressed, we can see that each one of these is kind of filling out God's plan more and more. And then in our last episode, we focused on the God's covenant with Israel, or also known as the Mosaic covenant, and we really focused on how God was starting to form a people of redemption, uh, gathering a people together. Um, Um, And we're going to see that theme continue in uh, the next two covenants. We've got two more to go, one one in this episode, and then we'll have a final uh, culmination in the next episode. So today we're going to be talking about the covenant with David, the Davidic covenant. And um, we have to have a catchphrase for that one, too. So drum roll, please. What is it, Adam? We are labeling the Davidic covenant kingship and redemption. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna look at at kingship and how that plays out in this uh, in the redemptive story of the Bible. Good. So let's jump right in. Um, we've always been kind of answering a pretty obvious question at the beginning, but I think it's important to kind of set each one up. Each one of these covenants is uh, with God and a person or a group of people. Who is this covenant with? This is uh, true to name the Davidic <laughs> covenant. It is God's covenant with David. Uh, but not simply with David, also with, as we'll talk about, David's descendants. Right. And uh, this covenant can be found in two places, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Or ver- is it 2 Samuel or 1 Samuel? 2 Samuel. Oh, I turned to the wrong place, sorry. <laughs> yep, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 17, and then also uh, the book of 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 17. Um, so we're going to take some time uh, to look through 2 Samuel 7, that passage, and uh, kind of show uh, where this covenant with David, how it ties in to everything that's preceded it. 
I think that's the beauty of discussing these covenants, kind of in like what we've been doing back-to-back episodes, because uh, it's kind of like watching a movie, a, pr- a pretty long movie, but um, you're you're just watching it unfold and the details start to connect and um, seeing how everything's tied together is uh, really cool to see in, in kind of broad strokes. Yeah, it really is. And, and that's the purpose of our looking at the covenants is how do the covenants kind of tie together the scripture and give us that big picture view of how God is working in this world, how God's working in redemptive history, and uh, um, how it progresses us um, to the to the very end, the very end of the story. Um, so as we look at 2 Samuel 7, um, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. We're just going to make a couple comments Uh, with some of these verses to show uh, how exactly the Davidic covenant ties in with uh, some of the things that have have already gone on and some of the covenants that have already been made by God. Uh, Verse 1 says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Now that term rest should kind of um, ring a bell in our Mm -hmm. ears that the first time we hear about rest goes all the way back to Genesis 2. And we think about God's, um, uh, the, the covenant with creation and, and that seventh day of rest where um, God invites man into covenant relationship with him. He gives him uh, his responsibilities to subdue the earth, to guard the garden, to spread God's glory uh, by being fruitful and multiplying uh, obedient image bearers. And uh, there's a state of rest in the relationship that God has with Adam. It's an active rest. And of course, that rest was lost in the garden. And uh, uh, we see that that rest is again promised one day. And in fact, in the Mosaic Covenant, um, God continually says, I'm going to, uh, in the land that you are going to conquer, that, you're, that you are going to have, I'm going to settle you in the land. I am going to give you rest mm-hmm. in that land. And now when we get to 2 Samuel 1, under King David, who was a righteous ruler, um, we're beginning to see a taste of rest. Um, and, and if we keep reading, of course, uh, David, in this... Uh, period of rest and, and and the enemies have been conquered and God is prospering David. He's prospering the nation of Israel. He wants to build a temple uh, for God. And right now, God is still dwelling in the tabernacle. Uh, of course, the tabernacle that went through the wilderness and um, as God was with the people and now uh, it, it rested there in the promised land. And God wants to, uh, or David wants to bi- to build a temple uh, for God. And of course, uh, we're not going to read all the verses, but the prophet Nathan, at first he says, that's a wonderful idea. And then God says, no, this isn't for David to do. And, and Nathan uh, tells David that. And when you look down to, um, to verse 9 of 2 Samuel 7, uh, the previous verses, God is basically saying, I have never, uh, I've always lived in, in a tent. I, I haven't lived uh, in an established house. Of course, we know that all the world is God's, mm-hmm. uh, a cosmic temple, right. the whole world. Um, and in verse 9 of 2 Samuel 7, 
uh, it says, and I have been with you, this is God, uh, I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Uh, so here, again, we have a tie-in back to Genesis 3.15, where uh, the promise is that the, the seed of the woman is going to overcome the seed of the serpent. And, and we see this starting to take place. Um, and not only a reference back to Genesis 3.15, but the next uh, phrase, the next sentence says, And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Now, where's the last time that you heard this promise, I will make your name great? Yeah, with Abraham. It's with Abraham. The promise, uh, the promise is involved with the Abrahamic covenant. So we see that um, these covenants are starting to play themselves out, and, and the Davidic covenant is kind of the next step where God is going to bring to fruition or bring to bring about uh, these promises that God has established um, uh, before with, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. When we talked about the Abrahamic covenant too, we mentioned that there were kind of several uh, parts or themes to the covenant with him. Of course, you just mentioned um, making for you a great name, um, but another important part of that was land. And I think we actually see a little bit of that as we continue reading into verse 10. Um, that one says, and I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed so more, or excuse me, no more, <laughs> and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. Yeah, so so they're going to, I mean, they're already in the land, and, and they are going to continue as they follow God, and, and as, as David follows God, as we'll, and, and future generations, as we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, God is going to bless them. He's going to make them continually secure in this land he's given. Uh, and then in verse 12 and 13, um, we see a continued um, temple theme. And, and again, that is traced all the way back to the garden where God dwelt in, in Eden. Uh, Eden was kind of that, um, that garden temple where God dwelt with man. And verse 12, uh, God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. So again, a reference to mm -hmm. offspring who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So it's going to be his descendant that's going to build a house, a temple for God, uh, but kind of a play on words in that passage. Uh, uh, God is the one who's going to really be building an eternal house for David in his descendants. Right. Again, it's a, a, one of those little kind of glimpses in the big movie that you're watching of kind of seeing what it what is coming. This is going to tie in, in 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 an even greater way than David probably realized at that time. Yeah. So eternal kingship um, that that is promised there. And then when you read in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 7, it's really interesting. Um, God says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. 
That's really important, isn't it, when, when, when we're talking about the context of covenants? Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, that theme goes all the way back to the garden, too, really. We saw that idea with uh, God and Adam. Yeah, Adam being God's son, be, Adam being made in God's image, uh, just like it talks about Seth being made in Adam's image, Seth, who was Adam's son. And, and you go to the book of Exodus, and Israel is referred to as God's son. So, so God's covenant partner um, is consistently in scriptures God's son. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see here um, that, that the same is the case. This covenant that God makes with David and his descendants, he says, I shall, uh, he shall be to me a son. Um, but you also see some discipline here, don't you? Like right. a father and a son. Yeah, yeah. The end of that verse says, "When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men." Yeah. So, so you see here um, both an unconditional aspect to this covenant that God makes with David, but you also see some conditional aspects. Um, of the covenant that God makes with David, kind of similar to what we talked about back with the Abrahamic covenant, Mm -hmm. that on the spectrum of covenants, it definitely, it leans far to the right on the unconditional side. But in order for David and his descendants to experience the blessings that God will indeed uh, uh, make sure to accomplish, they had to be obedient. Right. Um, in fact, verse 15 says, uh, uh, after talking about disciplining his sons, it says, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before mm-hmm. you. Uh, so Saul was a different story. Uh, Saul did not have a heart after God. Saul was not uh, God's choice covenant partner. Um, and the throne was taken away from Saul, but from David and his descendants, it will not eternally be taken away. So there's both a conditional um, uh, aspect to, in, to enjoy the promises of the covenant and to see them come to fulfillment, but ultimately this is an unconditional covenant that God is going to bring about. Uh, you know, we've really been focusing here in the passage in Second Samuel, um, but we do see kind of um, maybe a, a little more shedding of light on kind of this covenant over in the Psalms. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to go ahead and read? We were talking yeah. about Psalm 89, yep. um, starting in verse 29. It says, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove him from my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I I really like that line there. Mm, (laughs) To to my faithfulness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, he's not going to be faithful. (laughs) Um, And um, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Yeah. In fact, verse 37 even says, like the moon, mm-hmm. it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies, Selah. Um, so there's, defi- there's definitely the, the two aspects yeah. there of David and his descendants' obedience, needed obedience, 
but God's ever-present faithfulness, even when he's disciplining. Um, In fact, Psalm 132, another psalm, verses 11 and 12, says, The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. So we see God's responsibility uh, and man's responsibility there seen um, side by side. Another interesting thing, too, um, that, that I don't know if any, anyone listening picked up on when we were reading through first, uh, 2 Samuel 7, uh, the word covenant is actually not mentioned mm-hmm. In that passage, right, kind of like the covenant with at creation. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that. Right, um, but in Psalm eighty nine three and four, it clearly says, "I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations." Mm-hmm. So that word covenant doesn't necessarily need to be there in the passage, like we talked about like you said, with the creation covenant, for a, clearly a covenant uh, to have been established. And in this, in this case, uh, we see elsewhere in Scripture, in Psalm 89, that this clearly was a covenant. Right, yeah, those verses we read earlier even talks about God not violating that covenant. So it's repeated several times throughout there. Yeah, and I, I think a helpful thing for us to discuss for a few minutes too uh, would just be kind of... Tying all of this together, maybe in more detail than when we were uh, seeing links in the Second Corinthian or Second Samuel seven passage, it's late at night tonight. Yeah, <laughs> our references are struggling. Yeah, tonight. it's it's a it's a fall <laughs> night that we that we uh, decided to record out of necessity. Yeah. So I think our brains are our fried. little shot. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want I think it would be helpful to to look at the covenants and see some connections Mm -hmm. where all of these covenants up to this point with the Davidic covenant, how they all tie together. Right. Well, can I ask you a question before we move on? One thing I actually wanted to ask you earlier when we were um, talking through this a little bit is, is there a sign for this covenant? Uh, Other ones have had the, you know, rainbow, um, goodness, the, now my mind is gone. (laughs) gone blank. We really shouldn't do this this late <laughs> night. But is there a sign or is it just the fact that there's a king? Is the king himself a sign? Yeah, in this case, uh, uh, there is no official sign uh, that's made. Now, in, in the, of course, in the passage in Psalm 89 that uh, we, we just read in verse 37, like the moon, it shall be established forever. That's not, the moon isn't being a sign. <laughs> it's being uh, kind of like Abraham, look at the stars. Right. Um your descendants are going to be greater. So just as fixed as the moon is, so is this covenant. Um, so really, uh, we don't have an official sign per se, um, but but the sign would be that Davidic ruler on the throne. And of course, we know that there, when when uh, the southern kingdom, when when um, Jerusalem was sent into exile, um, there wasn't a, a, a king on the throne in Israel. So were God's promises forsaken? Was God going to be true to his promises? And of course he was. Um, But uh, that king, that Davidic king, you know, was to cling to the actual 
promise that mm-hmm. God had established. Yeah. All right, that answers my question. So now we can continue. We'll start talking um, kind of about the connection that we see with the creation covenant. This is the kind of idea of um, the king priests who would rule over God's creation. Do you want to expound on that a little bit? Yeah, we see uh, in the very beginning of Genesis that that Adam was made in God's image after his likeness, um, that as, that that there's there is a a sense of royalty there. In fact, Psalm eight talks about that. Um, and uh, Adam, as an image bearer for God, was to represent God in his newly created creation. Was to um, to be kind of a, a a vice ruler for God. Was to be an obedient ruler. Um, and and have dominion over God's creation, to multiply, to spread God's glory um, through image bearers. Um, So there's that kind of kingly, priestly role that Adam was to have in the garden. Um, and, And here in the Davidic covenant, we see again this king, the promise of an established kingship, uh, ruling uh, over uh, God's kingdom, um, seeking to extend God's glory across the world as the nation was obedient, was uh, mirroring the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do see that that kingly role, that royal role, um, continued all the way back from, um, from the first pages of Genesis, uh, here now in the Davidic covenant. Uh, one of the most interesting kind of connections for me is um, when you get to the next covenant, the one with Abraham. Of course, we already mentioned the promise of uh, seed, uh, of the land, and of course the blessing. Um, but where where do we see some of those uh, hints of kingship there in that covenant? Yeah, we see uh, very clear hints of kingship uh, with the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, Genesis 17, 6, for instance, says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, God tells Abraham. Uh, so there you have the, kind of that seed idea. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. There was always the expectation that that these, that these uh, Abraham's descendants would be, uh, from those descendants would come uh, a, a kingly people. Right. Um, in, in Genesis 17, verse 16, he says, talking about Sarah, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come mm-hmm. from her. Um, so it's, re- it's repeated um, uh, uh, many times to Abraham, to Sarah, to, to their descendants. And, and later on in Genesis and chapter 35, the promise that to Jacob... God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Again, going all the Mm -hmm. way back to uh, Genesis 1. And then God says, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So again, that kingly, uh, priestly role that that was established with Adam was never lost sight of uh, throughout... um, really the, the, the progression of the story of redemption. Um, and and the, one of the most clear and specific uh, mentions of kingship is, is Jacob when he is blessing his sons, um, and he says concerning Judah 
in Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Um, so, so here's a very specific uh, statement here that it's not just many nations and many kings, but in the specific nation uh, that God is blessing Israel, there is going to come a king who is going to rule, and it's going to be specifically from Judah. Yeah, from that specific tribe. Yeah, and yeah. that's where David came from, and of course that's where Christ uh, has come from as well. Right. When we head to the Mosaic Covenant, this one um, might be, I don't know, for me, it's a little bit harder to see those connections just right off. I mean, they're definitely there, but we talked about how this was a covenant uh, with Moses, yes, but also with uh, people, God um, forming a people for himself. And um, those those people were an answer to that covenant with Abraham. I mean, now there's uh, you know, many, many children of of Abraham. Um, they uh, were promised that they were going to get a land and um, that blessing. So how how does that tie tie in with what we see with David now? Yeah, um, the the Mosaic covenant was given uh, to the the people of Israel um, to show them how to live as God's people and to fully realize the blessings that were given to Abraham. So God makes them into an actual nation um, as he covenants with the people. And he gives them his law. He summarized in the Ten Commandments, this is how you are to uh, represent me. In other words, God is saying, this is how to live before me as my people. This is how to showcase my character and my glory to the surrounding pagan nations. So the Mosaic Covenant was kind of a guide for the people. This is what it means to now live as God's people. He's chosen us, so how do we live? Um, so they were a people, the promise of seed, they, they're being given a land, and, and they are to uh, to be a worldwide blessing, but how does that come about? How are they to act? How are they to live? What are they to avoid? Um, so when we get to the Davidic covenant, we see that this is kind of the means for that universal blessing to come about. Um, uh, God has God has covenanted with with the nation as a whole. And gives them instruction on how to live, but the Davidic covenant is now is now to say this is how you are to uh, live with a godly leader who is leading you in the right direction. He's going to kind of spearhead the way for them as a people, right? And, and Psalm seventy two um, really talks about this. This is a psalm that is is uh, written specifically concerning Solomon, but ultimately um, that promised seed who, who is that king, who is that priest, who would completely um, crush the head of the serpent. Um, and I want to really focus our attention, in, uh, starting in verse 8, uh, speaking of, of this Davidic king, may he have dominion, not just in Israel, it says from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth, may desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Boy, what does that That's sound a like? word picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The serpent mm -hmm. licking the dust and, and, and the, the, the idea of that final crushing of his head. 
Um, Verse 11, may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. So already in this psalm, you you see the the universal overtones that that are given, that, that there is a universal blessing that's taking place. Nations are turning to the one true God. And then in verse 15, it says, long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. So you see the the blessing of the earth. Um, Then in verse 17, this is really important. It says, may his name endure forever, which is promised in the Davidic covenant. His fame continue as long as the sun. And then, and then it says, may people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And, and the psalm ends, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And then again, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Isn't that the whole purpose? All the way from back from uh, the beginning of Genesis, that from, um, from God's image bearers, his glory would fill the earth. And now specifically, uh, King David here uh, and his descendants are called to be um, the leading image bearer, to lead the nation, uh, and blessing would come from uh, the leadership of this Davidic king. I love how that psalm ends too. Just side note, how it just says "Amen" and "Amen." I mean, that's almost all you can say after that. Yeah, it's just yeah. so so beautiful and so powerful to see. Um, you know, not only that blessing blessing given to uh, Solomon, uh, but to know how that is ultimately fulfilled, and to know that all of those uh, blessings and promises are filled through Jesus, and one day, uh, you know, we will be. Uh, in the new earth, and all of that will be, uh, you know, completely, completely done. So it's just really cool. You just all you can say is amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so we do see uh, here, especially from Psalm seventy-two, that it's very clear that the means by which the Abrahamic uh, promises are going to be fulfilled is through this kingly figure. It's uh, going to be this king that is going to. Uh, to lead his people, that's going to guide his people in righteousness and following God. Um, so, so God is working, um, yes, with the nation as a whole, but he's specifically working with, um, with this king who is going to be the example and, and even the representative of the people. Have, isn't that what we've seen in all of these covenants, though? It's almost been kind of a funnel, um, you know, just starting pretty broad with all of creation and then just getting more and more narrow um, as as you go through redemptive history. And now we're down to, you know, getting narrower. Now we're talking about a specific king and the, the line of kings that comes from him. Yeah, the implications from the very beginning are always universal, um, but but the specific as 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 God's revelation progresses, it definitely gets more specific. Um, and, and even under the Mosaic Covenant, before a king was ever established in Israel, um, just like we saw back in Genesis with all the mentions of, a, of kings coming from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, we also 
uh, read under the under the Mosaic Covenant um, that there are hints of kingship. Um, remember Balaam, the false prophet, who um, he prophesies, and 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 Balak is trying to have Balaam pronounce a curse on the people. And every time God is giving Balaam a blessing to mm-hmm. pronounce. And in Numbers 24, 17, Balaam uh, prophesies, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And, and get this language, it shall crush mm-hmm. the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Uh, so you have kingship, and you have, there's going to be this king um, that is going to crush the forehead of Moab. Uh, so, so uh, boy, what a reference to Genesis 3.15. And we see here this clear reference that, that a king is going to arise um, from the nation. And, and, and even in Deuteronomy 17, there's stipulations for the king, the kings that will eventually come uh, into um, for the uh, the Israelites and and what's the constant refrain of the judges over and over again? It said there was no king who uh, everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no there was no king king. Um, so so you all you read the book of Judges and you you keep being impressed with they need a leader mm-hmm. to guide them. They need someone who has a heart for God. There's just chaos here. They need a leader. And unfortunately, of course, Israel later, um, they, they, they want to pick a king, but for their own greed and their own desire to be like the nations. And then Saul is simply kind of a personification of mm-hmm. the people's own heart. Yeah, they picked a leader like themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it was always God's plan for this kingly figure and these figures to arise uh, but but in the right way and and in God's choosing, which he did do with David. So with every one of these covenants, we've uh, kind of gotten to the point where we say, okay, this sounds great. God has an awesome plan. Um, the, the people are on board, uh, but it often doesn't last. So did this covenant fail or not fail? <laughs> Well, it appeared, or, or did the people fail at this covenant? I guess you could, should say. Well, kings. as 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 you read throughout Second uh, Samuel and you read Chronicles, uh, you definitely, uh, well, even even uh, in First Samuel and Second Samuel, and then First and Second Chronicles, you definitely think that it seems that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, God God placed. David and his descendants as kings to mediate kind of their relationship between God and the people uh, and to represent the people. Um, But the kings, they turn from God, Mm -hmm. even Solomon, uh, who was greatly blessed by God and and God enlarged uh, Israel's kingdom under his reign. Uh, Even he turned from God and 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 you kind of that 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 phrase as the king went so did the people mm-hmm. we have that here as the king went into idolatry as the king forsook god's law they forsook the mosaic covenant um so did the people 
And the opposite also happened, right? There were occasions where um, kings would obey God and kind of swing things back the other way. <laughs> yeah, there, there were reforms that kings made. You think of King Josiah, um, but, but they were always short-lived. Yep. And, uh, and, and the king would, would lead uh, those reforms, but it never was truly in the heart of the people. Um, so there was, there was disobedience. All of the kings... Um, after David, they, they failed, yet there is a hint when you get to the end of 2 Kings and um, that there is hope. We don't have time to get there, but in 2 Kings 25, verses 27 to 30, when, um, when the southern kingdom is, is brought into captivity um, in Babylon, that the king of Babylon actually takes one of David's descendants, Jehoiachin, and takes him and makes him sort of the honored guest among all of the other kings and individuals at the king's table and has him eat at his table as sort of an honored guest. And you have a hint that, you know what? There's still more to come from David's line. The story's not yet quite finished. Um, So there is some hope there. And I guess that leads us to kind of our final thoughts for talking about the Davidic covenant, Yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant. Um, I mean, newsflash, hopefully you've realized, (laughs) um, I think we've hinted at it enough, that the ultimate fulfillment of this, of course, is Jesus Christ. You can see how the people of Israel uh, would have been looking for a political king on the throne. I mean, if they're basing it off of what they've seen so far throughout their history, that would kind of be what's in their minds, what they're looking for. Jesus obviously uh, shattered that and came as a totally different kind of king. But you you can see, tracing all of that, um, how it wasn't totally off base for them to have come up with that idea in their minds. Yeah, the people, the people missed that uh, preceding physical bondage needed to be uh, a freeing of spiritual mm-hmm. bondage. Uh, but but Jesus in the Old Testament, and we see in the New Testament as well, Jesus is uh, the greater David. He is the obedient son. He is the obedient king that none of David or his, uh, his descendants could be. Mm-hmm. Of course, Jesus was... Uh, also David's descendant, but he was the God-man. He was the obedient king that Israel never had. Mm -hmm. In fact, in Ezekiel 34, verses 23 to 25, um, uh, Ezekiel prophesies, uh, God says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Actually uses David's name uh, to make reference to this greater David that's to come. And, and it says, he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So there was a greater David that was yet to come that was going to be a faithful shepherd amidst 
all of Israel's unfaithful shepherds that they had. Right. And in the middle of all that unfaithfulness, God was going to do almost a, a restoration. Amos 9.11 says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the day of, uh, days of old. Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, in fact that, that reference is used in Acts. As, as, as we see that people are coming to Christ and, and, and even the Gentiles are coming to Christ and that, that booth of David is, is being repaired, it's being expanded. Um, in Luke 1 and verse 32, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him, what? The throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Um, so, so we see here that Jesus is that promised descendant that would come from David, who would rule and reign forever and ever. He's going to perfectly do what all those other imperfect kings yeah, couldn't do. Perfectly represents his people and manifests the rule of God on this earth and provides, as we read in Psalm, in, uh, what, Psalm 72, mm-hmm. um, that uh, universal blessing will come from this promised king. Yeah, it's it's been really cool, like I mentioned earlier, to see all this leading up together, and it it kind of makes me super excited for our next episode when we talk about that final covenant. The um, new covenant. It, yes, when we get to um, just kind of the, the fulfillment of everything we've been talking about. And I, I hope that as you're listening, you can see how having this as a framework um, in your personal Bible reading can really give uh, purpose and... Uh, kind of a, a sense of, of rejoicing as you're reading your Bible, realizing that these aren't just all choppy stories, that there's one author writing all of this. Uh, it just, it really helps give more a purpose and focus to your reading, I think, when you when you see it through these lenses of the covenants. Yep, and, 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 and highlighting some of these things, it can maybe seem a little bit overwhelming. Um, and boy, I, I don't, I didn't see that or I missed that. Boy, what's wrong with me? And that's not the purpose of any of this. It is to show kind of just the the handiwork of God's mm-hmm. plan and the beauty of Scripture and just to create that hunger, that thirst, um, to just be a student of God's Word, to unpack just the, the majesty of His wisdom and and of just the, 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 the unfathomable depths. Yes. Of his word. Yeah, it's funny as we've been talking, you know, we're we're trying to kind of move through these quickly, but man, there's so many spots that you kind of want to pause on and really dig a little yeah. deeper and see the connections. But uh, we will we'll wrap it up for for now, um, and maybe next time we record, we can record a little earlier in the day so we can get our references right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But until uh, the next episode, may you be filled with the love and peace of Christ. You've been listening to the Know and Love Podcast with Adam and Rachel Pereira. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on any of the apps that you use for your podcast listening, like iTunes or Spotify. That way, when the next episode drops, you'll be able to have it automatically on your device. Also, make sure to contact us with any questions or feedback on our website, knowandlovepodcast.com. 
We love hearing from you because it helps us shape the direction and the content of any future episodes.